0: You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church. As we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount, we've entitled the series Portrait of a Disciple. And this morning's message is entitled Blessed, Blessed. And we're going to be preaching from Matthew 7, Thirteen through 8.1. Matthew 7.13 to 8.1. So here's the question I have for you. Are you blessed? Well, before you answer that question, I think you need to define the word blessed. We hear the phrase, I am blessed often when someone has won a competition or perhaps an award. Some use it to describe great financial gain, Maybe a successful business investment. Maybe the purchase of your first home. We hear the phrase used during landmark life events like graduation from school, promotion at work, the beginning of a significant relationship, the birth of a child, or a successful project completed in life. While all of these currently are blessed events, there is a deeper more enduring definition of blessed that Jesus gives us in this entire Sermon on the Mount. You can argue that what he's saying and preaching in the Sermon on the Mount is what is a blessed life. It begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are, and he fills in the blank. Jesus here in our text this morning paints a portrait of what it means to be blessed. And he does it using three metaphors or three distinct images. See if you can identify those three distinct images. Read it with me. Follow along in your Bibles or in your devices. Friends, this is Christ's authoritative word. Let us read it. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many one mighty works in your name? And then I will declare declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Jesus here uses three metaphors, three distinct images. A gate, false prophets, and a house. These three distinct images all speak to us one main point on the screen. Live in the righteousness of God for his will and by his word. Jesus uses these distinct images to speak to us that a blessed life is a life that lives in God's righteousness, not in our self-righteousness. In a life that lives for God's will, not our self-will. And in a life that lives by God's word, not by our own word or opinion or the world's word or opinion. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's going to offer a contrast. He's going to offer a contrast between those who live in God's righteousness what he has been preaching about and teaching about in all the previous verses, what we call flourishing or whole person righteousness from the inside out, real righteousness, versus those who live according to. Man's righteousness, not God's righteousness, which he has been calling hypocrisy. Those who put the mask on, who play the game, who put on like actors a show for everybody to see, and even foolishly, like the Pharisees, think they can put on this show for God to see and somehow accept them. A fake righteousness. And Jesus warns us this morning and calls us this morning to choose the blessed life, the life that lives in the righteousness of God, the life that lives for the will of God, the life that lives by the word of God. Church, the good news is this. With the call comes the power to answer it. It's a serious call. It is is wisdom literature. This is how God talks to his people. So this is how he talks to you. If you're a Christian, he's talked to his people like this all through history. At the very beginning, he spoke like that to Adam and Eve. He said to them, I give you a choice. Life, if you obey me. Paradise, ruling under my authority forever and ever and ever. Or death, if you eat of that tree that I told you don't eat. Later on, he did that with his people, the church in the wilderness. Israel, when they go into the promised land, you know what God did? He had half the people climb up one mountain and he had half the people climb up the other mountain and they would shout back and forth to each other and here they here were these two mountains. The mountain of blessing, if you obey my word, if you obey my commandments, and the mountain of cursing, if you disobey my word and disobey my commandment. This is how he speaks to us, church. This is how he's speaking to us this morning. May we answer the way Joshua answered him. On the screen, Joshua 24, 15b. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The bottom line this morning, church, is that Jesus Christ is here by his spirit, and he's looking each one of you right in the eye. And he's calling you. And with his call comes the power to answer. But he's being very straight with us. We must be careful how we live our lives. Point one live in the righteousness of God. Live in the righteousness of God. Look at the text, verses 13 and 14. This first metaphor or this first image is of a gate, actually because it's a contrast, two gates. The first gate is a narrow gate. That narrow gate represents living in the righteousness of God. The second gate is a broad gate, and that represents the false teaching of the Pharisees that tries to live in self-righteousness. I'm going to get God's approval by keeping the law on my own. The first gate, the narrow gate, is I'm going to live in the righteousness of God that is mine in Christ. This is the real righteousness that Jesus has been telling us about. This is his invitation this morning. And if you're hearing it, I'm, I'm believing that God's going to give you faith to look to Jesus, that you would live in God's righteousness, which is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Well, living in God's righteousness, which is in Christ Jesus, means that initially what we do is we say, I don't have it. You have it. I repent of my sins and I believe in you, Jesus. It starts there. It's called conversion. It is only possible because God enables you to see it and God gives you life. So if you are not a believer this morning, thank you so much for being here. You may be here because someone's going to be baptized later on. You may be here because you wandered in off the street. That'd be great. You may be here because you smelled the coffee right through the doorway and you just wanted some coffee. Great. I'm happy to have you here. But let me tell you this. God is speaking to you. And if you're hearing, God has the power To make it all make sense for you. To make you want what maybe you never wanted before in your life. And to understand. You can't be good enough. You can't relate to God on your works. But. If you are a Christian. Which I think the majority of you are. Let me tell you this. Living in the righteousness of God means relating to God, not based upon my good day or bad day scenario. It means that I relate to God based upon the righteousness that has been forged at the cross of Christ, this new heart, this new relationship, this new person that is created there at the cross where Jesus took my sins and gave me his righteousness and forgave my sins, past, present, future. It's the righteousness that is mine in Christ. It is the righteousness Christian as we look down the corners of time, that perfection that one day will see him and we'll be like him and it's ours now by faith though we're walking it out and living it out it's living in that righteousness that's a blessed life whether you have a lot of money or not much money whether you happen to have a little conflict in your marriage right now or not whether you have all the relational blessings that you would like or not there is a blessing there that goes beyond getting the promotion getting the job getting the windfall financial profit those are all good But there is a blessing of peace when you have that righteousness. When you're relating to God based on Christ's righteousness. When you stop relating to God from an accounting ledger of credits and debits. Desperately hoping that you have more credits than debits on the last day. That is not a blessed life. But rather you run to the father. Especially when you blow it. And you know that you have all the credit in the world. You have a line of credit that has so many zeros. You cannot count them because it is Christ's righteousness and it never runs out. is living in the righteousness of god that we have in christ that is resting in the approval that we have in christ that is a blessed life point two not only is a blessed life living in the righteousness of god that is ours in christ but it's also living for the will of god this is where jesus gets very very serious this is what we call a sanctification or a righteousness of god that goes from the forensic all that's a fancy word for the legal standing I have a legal standing of right with God. Now Jesus drops down into everyday life. Remember when he said, you've heard it say, do not murder. But I tell you, don't even get angry. See, this is heart righteousness. This, is, this comes, drops down into a life that is lived for the will of God. And the metaphor or distinct image that God uses to contrast a blessed versus cursed life is this metaphor or image of false prophets. They're described two ways in our text. Starting in verse 15 all the way through verse 23. They're described as wolves in sheep's clothing. Why? Because they came teaching supposedly God's righteousness through the law and through works. And they came looking really good. They were the ones that were Holy. But inside, they were wolves because they were tearing God's people apart. Because instead of living for God's will, they were living for self-will. The will of God is that they would believe, repent and believe in Jesus and trust him and his righteousness. They said, no, sir. It's the law of Moses and that's my righteousness. And they wore masks and they were hypocrites. And he warns us to be aware of them. They were also described... As trees with diseased roots producing bad fruit. And God spoke to his people then and speaks to us now. That we must live for the will of God. We must live for the will of God. We have to be careful. For there are two distinct ways that are opposite but actually the same that we live for man's will rather than God's will and one of them is called legalism the pharisees and one is called license those are people who says it doesn't matter how you live live in any way you want to live and what Jesus is saying they're both wrong legalism and license license says it's okay to get drunk legalism says you will go to hell if one drop of wine touches your lips. And what have they done? They've taken the will of God, revealed in the word of God, and they've either tried to say more than it says, if you drink any alcohol, it's a sin, you're going to hell, or less than it says, hey, it's okay to get drunk. How can I say that? Because in Scripture, it says in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So that's one way that we can live for the will of man. We we take our own understandings. We, we we don't take what God is saying and obey his will to trust in Christ and we go our own way. But another way that we cannot live for God's will but rather for man's will is that we complain to God about his will. We say to God, listen, God, I'm going to tell you what your will is. I I, I know better. I, I I don't get what you're doing. It's a real temptation, complaining against God. So these two ways that we can resist God's will, I'm going to go it my own way. I'm not going to follow what the Bible says. I'm going to figure it out on my own. And by the way, these three metaphors, these three things that Jesus is preaching, live by the righteousness of God for the will of God, by the word of God, they're all connected. You can't separate them out necessarily. They all work together. So if I'm not trusting in the righteousness of God, then I'm rejecting the will of God to trust in Jesus. I want to trust in myself. If I'm not living by the word of God, I'm going to take what the word of God is and pervert it to make it say what I want it to say. And so it's interesting what Jesus says to these Pharisees. He goes through this long list of of all the things that they do. I mean, they're casting out demons in Jesus' name. Uh, they're, they're, They're prophesying in Jesus' name. Look at verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And he says to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Why? Because they refuse to do the will of God. Friends, let us not be enamored with externals. Whether someone looks good or doesn't look good. Let us not be impressed with their giftings or what they can or can't do. But let us look at the true issues of the heart in Christ. And what matters is living for God's will. Now I know what you're thinking. Okay, Al, I don't think I'm a Pharisee. After all, I live in South Florida. I think the, I'm the furthest thing from a Pharisee. Although there may be a few Pharisees amongst us. I, 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 I am so self-willed. I know God says, don't get angry, and I find myself getting angry. I know the word, and God says, don't lust, and I find myself lusting. I know the the word says be patient, and I'm just so impatient. I know the word says to judge others fairly and forgive that you might be forgiven. And I find myself such a critical, bitter person. I seem to find fault in everyone. Am I excluded? Is Jesus talking to me? Is he saying to me that they will not enter the kingdom of heaven, verse 21, because they don't do my will? No. No, no, listen to me. Jesus knows your heart. This is why we should never judge one another in that ultimate sense. I don't know your heart. So remember these three work together. If I live by the righteousness of God, then when I get to this point that I want to live for the will of God. So I wake up every morning and I say, Lord, this morning I want to live for your will. I'm I'm reading your word. and, And so whatever it is that you're working on right now for me, I'm working on several things. I'm saying, Lord, today I want to do this, this, and this. I know this is your will. It's clear. I don't have to pray about this. I don't have to fast. I don't need a prophetic word on this one. I know what you're, it's right here. And I know I shouldn't do this. I want to stop doing this, this, and this. And at the end of the day, if you're like me, when you lay your head down on the pillow, or even by three o'clock in the afternoon, for me, sometimes by 9.15 in the morning, I've not done it. But oh, listen to me, friend when you fail god sees your heart to want to obey him and if you live by the righteousness of god in christ instead of running away from god that's the sign of someone who's living in self-righteousness so they got to clean themselves up and get dressed pretty and nice so that when they come to god they're looking good I dressed up, I'm with God. No, no, living by the righteousness of God is I come and, excuse the metaphor, if if needs be naked, ashamed, broken, tattered, bruised, clothes torn, the, the worst, I, I, I smell and I run to him and I say, I live by your righteousness. Oh God, you know I want to do your will, but I failed here and here and here. And he holds you and he grabs you. Listen, this is what he was talking about earlier when he said, ask, seek, and knock. Last week's sermon. Because your heavenly father knows what you need. He chose you. He died for you, Christian. He rose from the dead. He's going to help you. That's a blessed life. He will give us what we need. Especially when we're poor and broken and needy. God doesn't answer the prayers of a self-righteous, self-sufficient person. He answers the prayers of a broken, reliant, a person who relies on him, dependent on him. That's at the heart of faith. The heart of faith is a cry for mercy. You know who taught me that? David Pallison and his, and his course on the dynamics of biblical change. I had the privilege of taking one course online and Pallison was the professor. That was a life-changing course, man. That was a life-changing course. Friends, at the heart of God's righteousness in Christ is heart obedience. And if you're not there, if your heart's cold, if you're not as passionate as you want to be, that's okay. God sees your heart. It really is not. It's not. It's not about perfection. It really is about direction. That's what repentance is. I'm walking this way, and I could care less about God's will. I just want my will. And God changes us, and we repent. And now I'm moving toward God. I'm moving toward, I'm leaning toward God. I'm saying, God, you know. Sometimes I'm praying. You've heard this before, Lord. If it's Lord, help me to want to do Your will. And sometimes it's Lord, help me to want to want to do your will and some days it's lord help me to want to want to want to do your will but he sees that and he died for you when you were his enemy so you don't have to prove yourself to him you have to believe point three the blessed life is not only a life lived in the righteousness of god in christ it's not only a life lived for the will of god but it's also a life lived by the word of god by the word of god See, a blessed life is a life lived by God's word, not your word. It's lived by God's word, not the world's word. And probably the most striking contrast is found in these final verses here. These are the last words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. I think if you've grown up in the church, you've sung about this, right? The wise man built his house upon the rock. House upon the right. You know, I love South Florida. None of, you're all looking at me like I'm a crazy man. If I was in Tennessee right now, you, the whole place would be singing, man. We would be like pounding. You know, <laughs> if you grew up in a Baptist church, you know that song, right? In the deep south. And the rains came down and the floods came up. And I forgot the rest of it. Because <laughs> I didn't grow up in the deep south. In the, in the house. Yeah. Thank you. And I love the way they say it to me like, and the rock, like, don't you know this? You know, I'm really self right now. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Sorry, I grew up in Miami. I have more in common in my background with Our Lady of the Lakes across the street because that's where my grandparents went to church and my mom (laughs) (laughs) than I do Southern Baptist. But anyways, what a jarring contrast, right? You got these two houses. You pull up to the neighborhood, and there's this rock on the shore, like some of the rocks I remember seeing in California when we were out there with the Abegs, beautiful shoreline, these rocks. And it's built on the rock. And then you got this other house that's built on the sand. I mean, intuitively, no, we know how this is going to play out, right? But obviously, functionally, we don't, because Jesus uses this metaphor. And, and it's so clear. It's how are you, how are you building your life how do you relate to God's word? Do you relate to God's word as just some nice suggestions? You know, like a, like a, a get help, a uh, self-help book, you know, like book of the month club or something. Makes me feel good. Get some glass of wine and, you know, sit out by the, by the lake. Just listen, read the Bible. It's kind of like, you know, listening to flutes play in the background. Or do you see this as your life? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. Now, it takes faith to see that. I get you, okay? It takes faith to say, no, this is what the word of God says when it comes to this. No, this is what the word says. I know the world says I'm crazy, or I'm a bigot, or I'm this, or I'm that. But this is what God's word says. And I'm going to build my life on God's word. No, I'm not going to take that promotion, because that means I'd have to break the law. And I know what they do. No, I'm not going to talk about them like that. No, I'm not going to be impatient in traffic. The first two aren't really temptations for me. Oh, the last one. woo. I'm going to build my life on the word and I'm going to ask God to give me strength to do it. And when I fail to do it, I'm going to remember my live by in the righteousness of God in Christ. So I run to my father and I'm going to remember I live for the will of God. I say, God, I know this is your will. And then I'm going to say, Lord, help me to understand your word. Open your word to me that I might build my house on this rock. We, we hope and pray in the years to come to have lots of Bible studies in that ministry center and different, different situations, different teachings. Next Saturday, you're going to hear teachings on marriage that come from God's word. A marriage that is built on the rock of God's word is a marriage that will last the winds and the floods and the winds and the rains. Now listen. Listen. Those, those winds and rains and floods, yes, they include whatever problem you have in your life right now. They include all that stuff. But can I tell you ultimately what they're pointing to? The wrath of God that is coming on the last day. Your house will not stand the wrath of God that he must because he's good and right pour out on wicked mankind unless you build it on the rock. You can't build it on the rock unless the rock chooses you and you respond because his grace is irresistible. You can't build it on the rock by your own strength, but it's by the strength of the Holy Spirit. But he calls you to build it on the rock. Just like he calls you to enter that narrow gate. Just like he calls you to beware of those ravenous wolves and those those diseased trees, uh, false prophets. He calls you to build your house on the rock here. But if it is built there, when that day comes, and it come at will, my friend, Jesus will return. There will be a judgment. God's wrath will descend on this earth greater than any hurricane or storm, and only the house built on the rock will stand, and stand at will. Why? Because this Sermon on the Mount ends with authority, my friends. Look at verses 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Verse, chapter 8, verse 1. And when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. I want you to see how important it is that Jesus ascended the mountain to give the Sermon on the Mount. And then descended the mountain when he was done. On the screen, the whole sermon began... With In one, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And it ends in one. The scene ends in one. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Jesus here, clearly, for the Jew of the first century, and now for us today, as I'm about to say this to you, is being shown as the greater Moses. For Moses ascended the mountain, God gave him his word, God gave him the Ten Commandments, Moses came down from the mountain, and God's people were constituted around the word of God, and then Moses said, one day there'll be a prophet greater than me, listen to him. Jesus knew what he was doing, God put this in there, that verbiage is there on purpose. He gets up on the mountain, he speaks the Sermon on the Mount, he interprets the law because he's God, you've heard that it's said, but I tell you, And when he's done having full authority, he comes down off of the mountain. So I can tell you authoritatively that Jesus is your righteousness if you've repented and believed. And you can come to God in him, not on your own righteousness. I can tell you authoritatively that he sees your heart to want to do his will, good day, bad day, when you fail or when you do well. And that he will give you the grace to do his will. And I can tell you authoritatively, build your house on the rock of his word, live by his word. Listen, at the the end of Matthew, do you know that Jesus goes back to this mountain? Scholars say that Jesus instructed his disciples to meet him on the mountain and that it was this mountain. And they understood that, oh, this is where the Sermon on the Mount was given. And on that day, in Matthew 28, Jesus now is resurrected from the dead. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. They have seen the glory of God. And Jesus talks to them, and he gives them what's called the Great Commission. And he begins it with these words. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples with my gospel. And what's a disciple? What's the portrait of a disciple? He says this, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. He tells them to do one more thing. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in just a moment we're actually going to hear the testimony of two individuals whom God has called, two individuals that are blessed, who are going to stand right here and share with you their faith, and then when we're done, we're going to walk outside and we're going to baptize them in obedience to our Savior. But before we do that, I've got to ask you this. This isn't a show. If you're here just to watch the baptism, let me tell you, friend, you're here because God brought you here, and he's got something to say to you. Do you want a truly blessed life? then bow your knee to Jesus the one with all authority and live in God's righteousness for his will and by his word christian God blesses us by giving us his righteousness in Christ, and he calls us to functionally live in his righteousness so that we relate to him and to others by the righteousness we have in Christ, not by our self-righteousness, so that we live for his will, not self-will, and so that we live by his word, not our word or opinion. This is what it means to be blessed, church. This is what God, our heavenly father, calls us to. He calls us for a blessing. Jesus came to reverse the curse that initiated in the Garden of Eden when man said, no, thank you, I'll go my way, and chose death. Jesus came and died for us, fulfilling that punishment to give us life. He makes this possible. He makes this possible. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings.